The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Would you grab your Bibles and would you open with me to the book of Romans? As you're doing that, um, in the back, we're doing a Bible giveaway. We believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. And because we believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, we think it is the coolest thing in the world for our church to be able to give away copies of it. And um, what we have in the back is normally we give away these. So if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we have been giving these away from the beginning of our church, um, and we'd love to invite you to grab one. Um, We're also now offering these. So this is for our older kids. It's the same Bible that you and I have. There's just some um, illustrations. There's some other side notes. Um, If you have an older kid who does not have a Bible, they do now. We have that table full of them. Please take one. It would be our our pleasure as a church to give you one. Um, If you have younger readers or maybe not yet readers, early readers, this is the best It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It walks through the story of Scripture in a way that is beautiful. I I remember going through this with my kiddos and and having multiple moments where I felt, oh, where the Lord was just using this in my own life. I encourage you to grab one. These are free. Just grab one. You don't even have to let us know. It's our privilege to to be able to give them to you. Um, All right. Let's get to Romans. We're going to be in chapter 1. Romans is right after the Gospels, right after the book of Acts in your Bibles. Um, It's the first of the epistles, and it has been referred to by many as the most important of Paul's epistles. Um, In fact, if you know who John Piper is, he calls this this book, uh, the book of Romans, the greatest letter ever written. (laughs) And I don't think it's an understatement. Um, we're, if you think of the order of Scripture, I don't think there's any coincidence that, that Romans is, is first in the order. First in the order for the epistles. Uh, it's an incredible book. And God has used this book, I just want to start us off with this, to impact the lives of so many, many, many who have gone before us. God has used this book to change people's life, to spur people on in the faith. God has used this book in in saints like Martin Luther, for example, who this book kind of sparked the Protestant Reformation. Um, This has been a profound book. And and honestly, for thousands of years, we have tried our best to kind of plumb the depths of this one. And we are just going to kind of get in the long line of those who have come before us to try to do that very same thing over this, the journey through this book. Um, so we're at the starting line, and, and so what I'd like to do is just to take a moment as we are at our starting line to take a deep breath and to come to the Lord in, in prayer. I believe that God wants to do more than just impart to us a bunch of head knowledge. I believe God wants to do more than that. I believe that God wants to change us through this. Um, he doesn't just want to change our minds. He wants to change our everything. And I believe that as we approach this book, as we're at the starting line, that's exactly what I want to pray for. And so if you would, just join me and let's come to the Lord in prayer. God, 
this morning, we just hold out our, our minds, we hold out our hearts, we hold out our time, and we ask that you would do a work, that you would do the work. We are asking that you would do the work that only you can do, that you would change us, and not just on a surface level, but that you would change us deep and lasting true change. I pray that you would do that work in us this morning, and Lord, I pray that you would do it for your glory, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. All right, so we're going to be spending the next three weeks in the greeting. Here's where we're headed. Um, Three weeks in the greeting. Um, If you're doing the math, you're going to be like, oh, we are going to be in this book for... Trust us, all right, hang in. Um, We're going to be in the greeting for the next three weeks, and we're going to examine three foundational elements right off the bat. Um, In fact, this morning, just FYI, the greeting is seven verses. We're really only going to be in verse one of of Romans today. Again, don't do the math. Um, So as we approach this, let's, let's let's read this together. So this is Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Our focus this morning is going to be on Paul. Um, Paul himself, the the author, the man who wrote Romans. Um, More specifically, our focus this morning is going to be on Paul's conversion and calling. His conversion and calling. If you look at the first word of Romans, it is, it's what? It's Paul. It's Paul. Uh, it's significant because of who Paul, who Paul is. And so for a moment, just for some context, I'd like to ask if you would hold your place with me in Romans and turn to your left to the book right before it, um, to the book of Acts in chapter 9. And I want to give us a little context to build on um, this morning. Before we go deeper into Romans, I think it's important for us to understand our author um, starting here in, in chapter 9, we drop into the story of a man named Saul. Now, just spoiler alert here, Saul is Paul, okay? Follow with me. Paul used to be called Saul. So in our text here, we're talking about the same man. So we, when we look at um, Acts 9, we're talking about the same Saul who would later be Paul. We're reading about our author, Okay, so as we read this, we're reading about the author of the book of Romans. So look at this. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Pause. When, when our text says still, unfortunately, it means it. Um, we're coming right off the death of one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture, the death of, a, of um, a man named Stephen, who had just been executed, who had just been executed, not just that, but executed at the hands of our man Saul. And in fact, in chapter 8, it says that Saul approved of his execution, and on that day there arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and everyone was scattered out. This is kind of what was going on in the church. Verse 2 says that devout man, they, they buried Stephen, Great lament over him. And in verse 3, it says, listen to this, Saul, that is Paul, Saul 
was ravaging the church. Entering house after house and dragging men and women and committing them to prison. That's the Saul that we're looking at. Um, he was terrorizing Christians. He was terrorizing the church. So if we look at our text in, in, in chapter 9 now, it says, But Paul still, that's what that still means, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Here's what he did. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what Christians were referred to in this time. If they found, if he found any Christians, men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. In other words, this man who had already done and was already doing great damage, this man who was already, as the text says, ravaging the church, this man was now seeking permission to do it on a grander scale. He was seeking to increase his power, increase the destruction. He wanted church to eradicate the teachings of this man, Jesus. He saw it as a nuisance, as a disturbance to the society, to the state, and to the pure religion of his people, and it needed to be squashed. That's our man, Paul, or Saul. He wanted to get power even more power to do that, to bring even more heat. Oh, but our God had other plans. In uh, chapter 9, we continue in verse 3. It says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. Church, don't you love when God divinely and sovereignly just interrupts us, <laughs> steps in and just interferes with all of our plans. God shows up. God shows up and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, notice the pronoun, me? Why are you persecuting me? And I love this because Saul now asks the extremely obvious question. It's like, who are you? Like, I don't remember doing this to you. I don't remember persecuting you. Who, he says, Lord, who are you? And listen to this. He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus says, when you persecute them, you're persecuting me. Jesus told his disciples that they were going to face this. He warned them um, that they persecuted Jesus. They're going to persecute you. They knew this was coming. Jesus also taught them in Luke. He says, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. So when they hear you, they are hearing me. When they reject you, persecute you, come against you, they are rejecting, they are persecuting, they are coming against me. Jesus says, I am Jesus. I am the one who you are persecuting. He says, rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men seeing this, they, they were traveling with him. They, they stood speechless, hearing the voice, but they didn't see anyone. 
And Saul rose from the ground, although his eyes were open, saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was just blind. He, for three days, he was without sight, and he didn't eat, he didn't drink. It was a traumatic moment when Saul's world was invaded, interrupted, turned upside down. He was blind, he was confused. By the way, has God ever turned your world upside down? Has he ever just invaded and got your attention? Maybe it wasn't exactly like this, maybe you weren't left blind. Um, But have you been here? Some of us might not want to hear this, but I think it's important that we do, that our God is sovereign and he has all authority to invade your world. He has all power and all authority to step in, to shake up your plan, to interrupt your carefully thought out plan. I'm a planner, so this is hard for me to say. He has all power and all authority to step into that, interrupt it, to make himself known and praise God that he loves us enough to do just that. And God was not done. Scripture says, now there was a disciple at Damascus, his name was Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, um, here I am, Lord, he said. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. (laughs) I would have loved to have just been a fly on the wall for what Ananias was feeling in this moment. Because for behold, he is praying and seeing, he has seen in a vision that a man named Ananias, that's you, will come in and lay hands on him that he may regain his sight. And I I love this because it's so relatable. Here's Ananias. He he answered, he says, Lord, I have heard (laughs) from uh, uh, many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem and here, he has the authority from the chief priests to bind everyone who calls on your name. In other words, God, I don't know if you know this. I've heard this. <laughs> I love that. Um, but this guy is not a good guy. Um, I don't know if you've heard this, but this guy is, is ravaging the church, and he actually has the authority to take me when I get there and bind me. God, have you heard? And then listen to what the Lord says to him. I love this. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. What a calling, what a statement that is. Um, For anyone who has been called by God, For anyone who has been given a calling from God, we're going to talk about that here in a moment, this is your calling. The call of God is not a life of ease. It's not because of you. It's not because of what you've done, your own power. It's not your own thing. It's not to create or build your own little kingdom here. That's not what the calling of God looks like on us. It's that God has chosen you in these words to be his instrument to be his instrument, to play his melody, to carry the gospel. And as our text says, in the process there will be suffering, pain, and struggle. This is the call of God for Saul. 
and wow, do we see it come to pass? Do we see the story play out? So Ananias, he, he departs, he enters the house, he lays his hands on him, says, Brother Saul, I love that. He could have called him by a lot of names. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And he rose and he was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. Church, Saul was converted Saul was regenerated by the Spirit. Saul was a changed man. From the inside out, changed and called from the persecutor of the church to the most prolific church planter the world has ever known. Paul was changed. And I gotta ask this question. Do you, do we still believe that God changes lives like that? Oh, I love that. Do you, do we still believe that God changes us, can change us? And this is a tougher question. Do you still believe in a change that is lasting? True. I hope you do because our gospel is a gospel of change of conversion and calling. This man had a history, he had a story, and it's not one that he was proud of. But God reached down in the midst of that to save him, to pull him out, to change him, and to set him apart. Now, I, I wanna hit a pause button here um, for just a little bit, because there's a common misconception here that I want to pull out. And... Uh, I don't know where this came from. And if you're here and you might be walking in with this, this misconception here, I'm not sure where it came from. Um, but the misconception is that Saul was walking around, he was killing Christians. Jesus shows up and Jesus says, thou shalt not persecute, I therefore change your name. And henceforth, you shall be called Paul. The misconception is that Saul the persecutor is now Paul the apostle. The misconception here is that this was kind of Jesus stepping in and changing his name to match his new identity. The only problem with that is it didn't happen. It just, Scripture doesn't say that that happened at all. In fact, as I was reading this, um, Paul is called Saul for several more chapters. For several more chapters. We don't actually see him called Paul until chapter 13. And by the way, when we do, it's not what you think. It, when we do see in him called Paul, we see Saul who is rebuking a magician. And in that text, it says just in passing, just like, in passing, but Paul, who was also called, or but Saul, who was also called Paul. It was just this flippant reference of when Paul's name became Paul. And 
It was just this passing mention. There was no holy name change moment for Paul. Saul met with Jesus on the road. And Saul continued to walk in that conversion and calling. Um, in fact, as you look at Scripture, you get the sense that, that Luke, when he wrote Acts, and kind of indicates that the names are kind of interchangeable. It was, uh, it was one of these Saul who, you know, you could call Paul. That's the way it's kind of positioned. And, and so what's going on here? I think this is really cool. Maybe you don't. Follow me. Um, Saul, first name, was a Hebrew name. Saul was a Hebrew name it derived from the first king of Israel, King Saul, who was in the tribe of Benjamin, of which Saul was also a part. It's a Hebrew name. While the name Paul was a Greek Roman name. It was a, from the Latin word Paulus, it was, here's the cool thing. It, the name change was not something that was tied to his new identity as a Christian. It was not given to him by Christ that you're no longer Saul, you are now Paul. Um, the name change, church, was missional. When you think about this, it was, it was missional. It was not tied to his new identity as a Christian. It was tied to his new mission as a Christian. Um, it was tied to his mission, his calling. Remember, Jesus said, he is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. And, and Paul does that. The name Paul is the name that he would use in order to better accomplish that task. It was a missional name. It was a missional name. And I, I know you, it made me think, as I, as I thought, just that simple name change. What would I be willing to change what would I be willing to change in order to accomplish, or in order to walk in what Jesus has called me to? What would I be willing to, to change? See, Saul, if it meant that more could be reached for Jesus among the Gentiles, would be called Paul. It reminds me of what he says in another epistle in 1 Corinthians 9. It says, for, the, for although I'm free to all, I'm free to all. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul says, to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. In other words, call me Saul. To those under the law I became as though one under the law. Verse 21 says, for those outside the law I became as one outside the law. That I might win those outside the law. I became Paul. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Even Paul's name was missional. Even Paul's name was an opportunity to further the gospel and to be about his calling. What are you, what are we willing to give, to change, to do, to be about the mission that God has given us? And so here's the reality. For those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, for those who have been saved by Jesus, Jesus does not just want to be the thing that gets added to the end of our life. Jesus doesn't want to be the thing that you take all your life and you just staple Jesus to it. 
Christ calls you to come and to die to yourself, to give yourself up. Christ calls you to, this is going to sound big, but it's scriptural, to die to yourself, your dreams, your hopes, your plans, to lay them out, to give up your dreams for yourself in order that you might fully live. Christ calls you to die to yourself that you might live to Christ, that you would no longer be the center, that you would no longer be the aim of your life, but that you would give that to Christ. And in doing that, you would experience life to the fullest. Even Paul's name reminds us that his life was not his own. Here's what I want us to see this morning. To be converted, that is to become a Christian, to be, to be in Christ, to be converted is to be called. To be converted is to be called. To be called to Christ is to be called out for Christ. Those Jesus calls to himself he calls to go. In other words, it, it's not like this is a three-level thing, that you have lost, you have spectator Christian, and you have called Christian. Scripture paints a different story. Scripture gives us two levels that you have those who reject Jesus and those who are in Jesus. And by the way, for those who are in Jesus, you were called to be on Jesus's mission. That's it. That, that is it. In fact, Paul will say, he's gonna say this later in Romans. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. He said, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And listen to this. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he has justified. Those who he's justified, he has glorified. Meaning, they all come together. The way of Jesus is a life of purpose and calling. If you are the center of your life, if you are the center of your life, you can be certain that you are not living the Christian life. Christ has called you to die to yourself that you might live in him. Your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. Now we get to live. Let even the name Paul be a resounding reminder of that fact. Jesus saved Saul. Jesus gave Saul a calling, a mission. And in this calling, this mission that Jesus gave Saul, it was beneficial for Saul to be called Paul. So for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of his calling, for the sake of those who do not yet know Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles who he was called to reach, call me Paul. Church, this is Paul. This is the author of our letter. Every time you see his name, be reminded of that, that those who Christ calls to himself he calls to go. So let's come back to our, I, I know, let's come back to our text in Romans. Um, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So he says, called to be an apostle. 
The word apostle literally means the sent one, the messenger, the ambassador, the delegate, however you want to you want to translate that. It is someone who goes on behalf, sent out on behalf of another. And I want to be really clear here because this can get kind of confusing. Um, The word apostle refers to two different things and is used in two different ways. And I want to be clear here about the difference between an apostle and an apostle. (laughs) Here's the reality. You are an apostle. And You are absolutely not an apostle. (laughs) How is that for clarity? Uh, Here's what I mean. On the one hand, um, an apostle refers to an office, to the office of apostle. uh, Specifically to the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. Apostle refers to the 12 men who walked with Jesus, who Jesus called to follow him in his earthly ministry. And in the Gospels, we, we, we see that when Judas betrayed Jesus and took his own life, they needed to replace him. And the prerequisites for that replacement was, one, they needed a man who saw Jesus, and then two, they needed a man who Jesus himself called. So there were 12, there were only 12, and in Acts, we've already read, That Jesus specifically calls Saul, Paul, to be an apostle, to be one of the twelve. And so in this sense of apostle, you are not one. Um, You can't be. That office is full. You're not qualified. Okay? Um, However, in another sense, in a general sense, the way that Scripture uses apostle, you are absolutely an apostle because on the other sense, an apostle is simply one who is called out, who is sent out, who is an ambassador or a delegate. In other words, this word is more used more generally, and in that sense, you are absolutely an apostle. I truly believe that both senses of this word are in view here. That on one hand, Paul was called to be an apostle, to be one of the twelve. And on the other hand, Jesus called Paul to be one who is sent. To be one who is sent out. Called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Here in the introduction, and the reason I wanted to just push the pause button after just one verse, um, is I believe that Paul is saying something simple yet really profound. Paul is saying, Jesus saved me and Jesus set me apart for his work. Paul is saying, Jesus has saved me and Jesus has set me apart for his work. Can you say that? Paul says, Jesus converted me and Jesus has called me. Jesus has called me to himself and Jesus has called me out to his work. Those he converts, he calls. We see both here, conversion and calling. And I want you to think about this with me. Paul wrote this letter toward the end of his ministry. We believe this letter was written toward the end of his third missionary journey. Um, We believe that this letter was written while Paul was ministering to the church in Corinth, the church that he planted, and that he penned these words while there. He wrote these words, and what I'm getting at, 
years after that Acts 9 moment that we just read. Years after Christ had saved him and called him. Yet, Paul looks back on that moment when he was converted and called and draws strength and purpose from it. He writes this letter in order to unpack, to deliver the message of the gospel to this church in Rome, to the believers in Rome. In other words, what was Paul doing in writing this letter? He was fulfilling his calling. He was doing what Jesus had told him to do so many years ago. He was living out his calling. So as we come back to this, I want to go back to the question, can you and I say that, that Jesus has saved me and that Jesus has set me apart for his work? Can you, can we say that? Um, I believe that far too many cannot. And here's why I say this. I believe that the enemy's plan is to come against the church. I believe that because Scripture tells us that. His plan is to come against the church, to come against you, to attack you. And in this His greatest aim is to get you to doubt, to forget, to ignore who you are in Christ and what you are called to do in Christ. To forget your conversion and to forget your calling, to forget your identity and to forget your mission. And would you just think about this with me? Maybe you're here and you would say, yes, I believe Jesus has saved me. I can say that first part. Yes, I believe that I am converted. I believe that I am his. I believe that I am in Christ. I am justified. I am forgiven. I believe this. And for you, praise God for that. But maybe you're here and at the same time, you would say, I do not know my purpose. I do not know what I have been set apart to do. I do not know my calling. Maybe you're here and you think, surely God wouldn't use me, someone like me. Maybe you're here and you think, surely God wouldn't want to use me. Maybe you're here and you think, surely I cannot be mission critical in the family of God. Surely there are others. Surely there are those others who God would use. Maybe you are here and although you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, maybe you are here and you just don't have a purpose, a direction, a reason that you are here. Those he converts, he calls. When your purpose is done, by the way, you'll know it because you'll be with him face to face. Until then, There is work for you to do as his worker. Church, you have a purpose. You have a calling. You have have unique, supernatural, spiritual gifts that God has given you. You have all that you need in order to accomplish all that God has given you to do. You are both called and equipped. I believe firmly that the saddest kind of life, the most depressing life, the most empty life. It's not the life that has no purpose, although that is very depressing. I really believe that it's the selfish life. It's the life where you are the center, where you are the purpose, where it's you and you and then you. I think about it like a a man who is, I think about it as a man who is dying of thirst in the middle of the ocean on a raft. Okay, 
The life without any purpose would be like that man on the raft dying. That's depressing. It's, it's terrible. Nothing to drink. But the man who lives for himself is worse. The man who lives for himself is the man who thinks that he's fine because he's surrounded by water. And, and he just drinks freely of that water all around him, not knowing that with every sip he's killing himself and dehydrating himself even more. With each sip, although it seems as though it would quench, it cannot. With each sip, although it seems to satisfy, it cannot. With each sip, it kills him more and more. This is what it is like to live your life with you at the center. You think it looks good. You think it would satisfy, but every sip kills you. Christ has called you to a greater purpose, a greater purpose that is beyond you. And you can know the purpose of your life. For those who he predestined, he also called. For us today, for those who have been saved by Jesus, you are called by Jesus. You are called to a purpose that is greater than you. And ultimate fulfillment is found in this purpose because it's exactly what you were created for exactly what you were created for. My hope is that we would be able to leave this place this morning to be able to say with confidence, along with Paul, Jesus, save me and set me apart for his work. If you are here and you cannot finish that statement, I want to encourage you this morning, challenge you to pray very honestly that God would give you a clarity on what it is he has called you to do. Can you say this this morning? Maybe you're here and you can't even begin to speak about purpose because you can't even begin to speak about calling or a mission. You're not even able to say with confidence that you truly know that you're saved by Jesus. Sure, you may know about Jesus. You may know about what the gospel says, but conversion? But conversion? I mean, you may be here and you, you may not know that you have been converted. I believe that this is the day that the Lord has made. I believe that salvation is here, that salvation in Jesus is here, that Jesus is God, that Jesus became man, came down, lived the life you could not live, and died the death that you deserve, that he took all of your sin, that he took the fullness of it, the shame of it, the guilt of it, the punishment for it. He bore the pain, took it all, and that's why he and he alone can offer you forgiveness. But it's not only that, because it's not just that you are now no longer counted as a sinner. It's better than that. It's not only that you are just forgiven now. It's better than that. Because in Christ, you are made righteous. You are made perfect. You are made a child of God. You are made a son. You are made a daughter. It is in and through Christ only that you have life abundantly and eternally, and only Jesus can offer you that. Here, Scripture says that this is exactly what Jesus is offering you today. And it's only Christ to offer. And here's the truth. God does this work. 
God does this work, changes us, that lasting change from the inside out. God does this work. The Holy Spirit does this heart work. This is called regeneration, and this is what God does in us. It is ours simply to respond. It is ours simply to respond. For those who God is working on and in, would you respond? Would you respond by confessing your sin, repenting, turning away from it, turning to Jesus? Would you confess not only your sin, but your faith in Christ? Would you respond? Church, this response to the gospel, by the way, is called conversion. It's called conversion. This is exactly what we were talking about together this morning. This is how we can say with Paul, Jesus, save me and he has set me apart for his work. Jesus, save me. He has set me apart for his work. Would you respond this morning? Let's pray together. Lord, we are here at the start of a journey through your word, through this, this letter, through Romans. And right at the beginning, we are reminded so clearly that you change lives. That you not only just change our, our mind in a spur of a moment, but that you change us from the inside out, that you make us new, that you bring us from what is, was dead to now living in you. That you change us and transform us. You don't just make us better versions of ourselves, Father. You convert us, you change us, you regenerate us. And so, Lord, this morning we are reminded of your work and we thank you for your work and for everyone here, for anyone here who has not yet responded to Jesus. I just pray that in this moment, in the stillness of this moment, that you prompt our hearts and you do your work. That you change us. And that we then respond, Lord, I pray for, I pray for us today that you would do that and that we would respond. And God, for anyone here who is uncertain of our purpose, I pray that you would make it clear. That you would cause us to live for something greater than ourselves. That you would cause us to live loving you more and loving others. That you would cause us to live making disciples. That we would follow after what your word puts before us. And that we would actually begin to understand how we can do that in our context and in our lives in reality. So Lord, we ask that you would take us and move us. Those you call to yourself, Lord, we know that you call to go. Would you call us to go? Would you send us? Would we echo Isaiah's words that say, here I am, send me. Whatever that looks like, Lord, would you give us the confidence and the boldness to walk? In Jesus' name, amen.